following sermon is by Pastor Brent Hedden at Desert Heights Church in Farmington, New Mexico. That's where we're at. Last week we looked at Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2, where God declares His punishment of six neighboring nations of Judah and Israel, and he also declares his, his punishment for Judah and Israel. Um, Amos chapters 3 through 6 are a series, what we're going to get in today is going to begin a, a series of oracles, or some of them are, are subtitled sermons. Uh, there's going to be a series of sermons that are directed specifically at Israel. So last week we looked at these six nations, Judah and Israel, what is left is going to be directed towards uh, Israel specifically. Um, Today, we're going to look at the first of these sermons in Amos, uh, in the series of sermons that are in Amos. Um, So last week, I titled the message, God's Authority to Punish. Today is God's Authority to Redeem. That's much more encouraging, don't you think? Okay, look over at your neighbor and say, you look good today. Good. Some of you needed a smile, so, all right, here we go. God's authority to redeem, Amos chapter 3. In chapter 3, God's authority to redeem is carried out in His relationship with Israel. It's kind of foundation to where we're going, so I'm going to say it again. God's authority to redeem, His authority to redeem Israel is carried out, it's done in the environment of His relationship Everyone say relationship with Israel. Relationship is going to be kind of a key word this morning. I'm going to give you my three points. Just because I give you my three points doesn't mean you can just leave, okay? There's going to, uh, this is going to develop in three parts. It's going to be a holy relationship. God's going to establish a holy relationship. Then we're going to talk about a violated relationship. Nobody say amen there. And then number three is a redeemed relationship. And that's where we're headed, okay? And then at the end of service, uh, Josh Valdez is going to come and promote life groups. So everybody gets involved in life groups because that's an important part of our church. Okay, so here we go. Number one, a holy relationship. If you're taking notes, a holy relationship. Amos chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Listen to this message that the Lord, and I made a little note in my text, uh, that's Yahweh here. Uh, so listen to the message that the Lord Yahweh, this is the, the title that we use for God whenever we're saying he's a, he's a saving God, he's a delivering God. It's Yahweh who delivers Israel out of Egypt. It's Yahweh, the deliverer, the savior, okay? Because we use different words in different times throughout the Old Testament for, the, for God, if you didn't know that. Listen to this message that Yahweh, the Lord, has spoken oh, against you. That's, you don't want to be on that side of, of God speaking. The Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family that I rescued from Egypt. You got the picture? Okay, let's start over again. Listen to the message that the Lord has spoken against you, O Israel, against the entire family that I rescued from Israel. Israel, you remember, years previous, God had gone, sent Moses to, to Egypt, 
I said rescued from Israel, huh? Rescued from Egypt. God had sent Moses to Egypt to deliver Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The Lord has spoken against the very people that he rescued out of slavery. Picture this in your mind. This is important. The Lord has spoken against, here in chapter 3 of Amos, He has spoken against the very people that He rescued. He rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And what did He do with them? He didn't just rescue them out, take them out in the desert and say, Oh, I hope you guys make it now. No, He rescued them out of the slavery of Egypt. He takes them to... Uh, over a 40-year period because they had bad attitudes and he had to straighten that out. But he eventually gets them to where? Canaan, the promised land, the land that he had promised Abraham years and years, 400 years plus uh, before. Are you with me? So he takes them out of slavery into the promised land. Israel is not just some random group of people on the earth. These are the people that have a history with the Creator. The Creator had chosen them to be His people. He has called them out from among all of the other nations. God has called Israel from all of the other people groups on the earth to be His special possession, His special people. The king has chosen them, and he has rescued them from slavery to be his very special, very holy, that's a key word, very privileged people. I say this often because we, ought, we, we misuse the word holy. Holy is not just set apart from sin. It is set apart to use in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So it's not, it's not the deliverer. It's not just Yahweh saying, Israel, I'm going to set you free from slavery and hope you make it. It is, I'm setting you flee, flee. I am setting you free. I had three cups of coffee this morning. You all look like you're vibrating. It's true. It was that pinion coffee. It's Josh's fault. His influence on Desert Heights. We're drinking pinion coffee, high octane. That stuff makes me nervous. <laughs> Yahweh, he he takes the the Hebrew people from slavery and he sets them in the promised land. He sets them from slavery to freedom. That is the picture of holiness. He takes us from our slavery and our impurity to cleanliness and holiness set apart for eternal purposes. Okay. So God does that with the people of Israel. He is setting them apart. And now in our first scripture, the Lord is speaking against His holy people. You feel a little tension here? There should be. Verse 2. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. He says, from among... What's the next word? I like it when you guys help me read the passage. I like that. From among all the families... On this little blue planet, God says, I have been intimate with you alone. He's talking to Israel. Now, uh, we can go haywire in the New Living Translation where he says intimate because our minds go somewhere because that has a a contemporary context that's not actually accurate here. Uh, However, I'm going to hammer on the ESV because it just says known, and that's not fully what's going on because it's it's about God. You got to get your emotions applied here. 
It's not just about an academic knowledge of, of you know God and God knows you. It is about there is a relationship. God has come and made himself present and, and available to be known and to know Israel. Does that make sense? It's not, hey, here's, here's who I am, hope you figure it out. It is God has shown up present in the lives and the activity, the history of Israel. So he's intimately involved with Israel. You with me? That makes this difficult. That is why I must punish you for all of your sins. Wait, why is he punishing? Because there's an intimate relationship. If there wasn't an intimate relationship, there would be no need for punishment. It is, it is this deal. It, it is uh, when we're driving and somebody cuts you off, you're like, whatever, it's no big deal. If the person that cuts you off is your brother, then you flash your lights and you race up beside him and you run him off the road and tell him what's up. <laughs> or somebody you know. Because we're more concerned whenever somebody we have a relationship with offends us or sins against us, then we're more prone to correct it, Right? We have a hard time, a real hard time getting our mind around this dichotomy uh, of the nature of God who says that because we are intimate, I must punish you. This is a dichotomy that our humanistic nature has a very difficult time getting our hearts and our heads around. Follow me, because this is, this is incredibly important. Our hearts tend to say, the compassionate side of us, tend to say, do anything that you want, and I will love you regardless, right? I mean, don't look around right now, but you know those people. Those people who tend to have no boundaries, you can walk all over them, they're going to love you regardless. Uh, it's, it's sometimes women's relationship with their children, when their children misbehave, and they're like, I just love them anyway, Right? It's the heart. The heart says, no matter what, and we project this on God, and we say, God should love us no matter what we do. And then we come to Amos, and he says, because I have this intimate relationship with you, I must punish you. And we go, wait a second, that's not the love I thought that it was. It's because we have a humanistic purview of, of love, but we're talking about God here, okay? So our hearts say, do anything you want, and I'll love you anyway. Our heads, this is more the guy side of it, because we live in our heads more than our hearts. My wife calls me the tin man because I have no emotions. But our heads tend to say, you hurt me, you sinned against me, therefore, now I cannot be in a relationship with you. Do you see how we have an abuse of two extremes? The heart says, Sin against me, I'll love you anyway. The head says, you sinned against me, we're done. Neither is right. God is always right. And what God is doing in this passage is showing us the balance. God says, I'm paraphrasing the whole passage. God says, listen, Israel. Listen, Desert Heights. We have a holy, everyone say holy. We have a holy relationship. Remember, I just defined to you what holy is. Set apart from slavery to godliness, to freedom. God says we have a holy relationship that is deeply loving. It is intimate. And 
it is disciplined against the violation of sin. I love you ferociously, but there is also a discipline against sin, against the violation of sin, the chaos that sin creates. This is necessary because sin will, absolutely every single time, sin will violate love. It happens every single time. Sin violates our relationship with God. Sin violates our relationship with our spouse. Sin violates our relationship with our children. Sin violates our relationship with our extended family and even our church family. Are you with me? Are you thinking? Sin violates love. It violates relationships. So we have to have a discipline against sin in our relationship. God values, God values this relationship with Israel so much that he refuses to allow sin to continue to violate and inhibit his relationship with his precious people. That's good. God's like, oh no, this is not going to happen in my house. Oh no, 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 we will get along. So he says, He says, I must punish you for all your sins. We have a holy relationship. We have a love and intimacy that has to be guarded from sin. So if you're going to drag sin into this relationship, I am going to use my power and my authority to guard our relationship and to punish sin. Amen, Brent, that is good. Yes, it is. Hopefully before the Super Bowl, that'll occur to you. You'll get your brain around it. Now, Amos, in a figurative way, is going to explain uh, the relationship between God and, and Israel. And this gets a little crazy, so you're going to have to pay close attention. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, here we go. He says, can two people walk together? You can picture this. Can pe- two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Now, it's written in, poetic, in, in poetry, so, so there's an intention for you to kind of think and have some freedom with what he's going on there. But you can picture two people walking together, but if they don't agree on the same direction, are they going to end up in the same place? Not typically. That's what happens whenever I go to the mall with my wife. She goes to that makeup place, and I go to the food court. (laughs) And about the time, did you, uh, side story, they got rid of the corn dog place. A little hurt. So about the time I get my Chinese food, I realize my wife's not with me (laughs) because we didn't agree on the destination. (laughs) And by that time, she's checking out with $100 worth of makeup. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I'm kidding. Side story. It has nothing to do with anything. Can two people, you get the picture, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? We cannot be at odds and walk together. We cannot sin against one another. We cannot allow sin to cause damage to those we love and still continue to walk together. We cannot sin against God and continue to walk with Him. 
Just like you cannot continue in sin against your spouse and continue to make it to the food court. Are you with me? Yeah, it's just very practical, isn't it? We have to agree. And God, because he's Elohim, he gets to say, we're going to have a holy relationship. And I'm going to make you holy so that we can have this great relationship. And, and Israel's having a little problem here. So the next two verses, they describe how God's actions are the product of this holy relationship that he's initiated with Israel. Okay, so engage your creative brains here. The rest of this is not quite as uh, literal as two people walking together in agreement. I just about lost my iPad on the floor. That would have been bad, huh? Uh, I'd have to open my Bible, actually. All right, so engage your brains. Here we go. Verse 4, he says, picture what's going on. Picture it. It's, you, you, here we go. Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? <laughs> oh, wait, where are we going? Does a lion roar without first finding its victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? Watch this. God has pursued and he has caught. God is the lion, the lion that's being depicted here. God has pursued and he has caught the one that he desires to have this holy relationship with. Are you with me? Because sometimes we're, we look at this and we say, well, what if, what if I don't want to have this relationship with God? It doesn't really matter what you want. Uh, God is God. And because he speaks creation to an, in, in existence and he speaks you into existence, he gets to choose. He gets to choose that you have eternal life and forgiveness and life, life more abundantly instead of just letting you live in the chaos and the death of sin. So if you don't like that God has chosen something wonderful for you, you need to find a good corn dog because that's the best you're going to get. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, so sorry for you, genius. <laughs> it's no good. The lion doesn't roar until he finds his victim. The young lion doesn't growl until he catches his prey. God, God has captured Israel as his special people, and he's going to glorify himself through the nation of Israel. Verse 5, he says, Does a bird ever get caught in a trap with, that has no bait? The bait in this is, is God's glory. We're attracted to the glory of God, to his love, to his mercy, to his grace, to his fantastic character of who God is. And we come and we say, Whoa, I want to be a part of this. Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? Does a trap spring shut when there's no, nothing to catch? We come into it and he captures Israel. Uh, verse 6, when the ram's horn blows a warning, he transitions here. He says, when the ram's horn blows a warning, that's our cue to sit up and take notice. When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? Instead of just sitting back being like, eh, it's no big deal. No, 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 no. The ram's horn is blowing, and, and it's, this, it's sounding a warning. We should be alarmed. He says, does disaster come to the city unless the Lord has planned it? God's warning Israel. He says, they have been caught by God, and he's warning them, you are my precious people, and I'm going to punish your sin. So I'm warning you. And then we have verse 7. He says, indeed, the sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh, Adonai, he's Lord, Lord. He has a 
authority, that's why we titled this part is authority of the king, demonstrating the authority of God. He has authority to say, you are my people and I will make you holy. You with me? God has the authority, not just the power to do it, but he has the authority to do it. So he says, indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything. Lord there, by the way, is Yahweh. So he's saying the, the, the God has authority to save. The God who has authority and who is the Savior, he never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. So Israel's not catching any flack that they haven't already been warned about. They've been given the law. They know what the law is. They know that there's a blessing in keeping the law. They know that there's a curse in not keeping the law. So he's already told them. So he's not going to destroy the city without having given them fair warning. God is still a fair God. God relentlessly loves Israel. And it is because of the purity and depth of his love for Israel that the king will not allow sin to violate this relationship. Oh, that's a huge concept for us to get our brains around. Are you with me? God relentlessly loves Israel, and it's because of the purity of this love and the depth of his love that he will not allow Israel to drag sin into the relationship and ruin the relationship. It would be similar to what we studied in Hosea, where Hosea marries a woman who says, I'm going to bring a third person into this marriage, and it's going to cause chaos. If your spouse came home and said, hey, I would like a second husband or a second wife, in my house there would be chaos. If my wife comes and says, hey, I would like two husbands, then uh, I would, there would be some, some boundaries. I have to think carefully how I say this because I don't want to pick a fight that's not even a, I don't want to pick a fight on a hypothetical situation. Diana come out of Sunday school later and whip me. I'm kidding. You understand my point though. God relentlessly loves Israel and so he doesn't want Israel bringing sin into the relationship to ruin, uh, to ruin the relationship. God is giving Israel clear warning, clear instruction that sin, the sin that they've brought into the relationship is about to be punished. Verse 8, he says, the lion has roared. So who isn't frightened? Back in verse 4, he said the lion roars when he's captured his prey or whenever he's got his, his victim, right? He's got Israel. Now he says the lion in verse 8. He says the lion has roared. God has roared. And who isn't frightened? God has spoken. The sovereign Lord God Almighty has spoken. And he said he's going to judge. He's going to bring punishment upon Israel because they've sinned in this relationship. And he says, so, so the lion has roared. So who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord, we again have this Adonai, Yahweh has spoken. He is powerful, he has authority, and he is Savior. He has spoken. So who can refuse to proclaim his message? He's saying, hey, the sovereign Lord has spoken, so we need to tell everyone Tell everyone that we know, warn them. The lion has roared. He has his people, and they've sinned against him. He's going to punish them. So warn everybody. Listen, God the King has declared a holy relationship with Israel, a sacred relationship. 
The king wants to walk together in the same direction as his chosen people, Israel. The king has roared. He has declared that he has found and he has captured what the New Testament is going to call his bride. Are you with me? The king is determined. Adonai Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, he is determined to exercise his power and his authority to eliminate sin from this holy relationship. It is whenever as husbands and fathers we say, no, you're not going to bring sin into this house. I will stand against it violently if I have to. That's an opportunity for all the men to say, amen. Or you can just let sin walk in your front door and destroy your family. Not a good plan. Number two, a violated relationship. We do not want to violate our holy relationship with God. A violated relationship. Verse 9, he says, Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. Follow. Tell this to these people that last week we were thrown under the bus because they're bad people too. Now he says, announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. He says, take your seats now on the hills around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. Tell all the surrounding nations to, to get in the grandstands, get ready, because you're going to get to watch God punish Israel. That's kind of no good, huh? So God is not punishing Israel in private. Here again, we have this idea that butts up against how we do things in the contemporary world, where we think, well, any time that we uh, discipline someone, if you have to discipline a child, you take them back in the back room and you spank them or whatever you do, hit them in the head. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. I'm kidding, but I have your attention again. Uh, we, whatever you do, you do it privately, Right? And God says, no, 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 I'm going to punish Israel and go ahead and, and send an email out to all of the surrounding nations that they can sit up and pay attention to what God Almighty is about to do to Israel. Watch this. God is displaying, he is displaying his power and his authority. He's displaying his love for Israel to the world. If he didn't love them, he wouldn't discipline them. He wouldn't punish them. This is the object, Israel is the object of God's affection. And he wants Philistia and Egypt to be paying attention to how ferocious God's love is for his people. So why is he displaying his power and authority and his love? Because God's plan is to redeem. You know what? We have this great prayer. I gotcha, huh? We have this great privilege of living on the right-hand side of that blank page in our Bibles. We know how the story ends. We know what God's plan is. Israel's here, and they're like, man, we just, we try, but we mess up. God punishes us. We sin. He, he punishes us, and we come back to him, and we try again, and we sin, and he punishes us, and it's just ongoing, and it's no good. And we get to stand on this side, seeing that God's plan is not just to redeem Israel, 
but to redeem people from every tribe and every nation. God wants the world to know that he alone has power and authority to bring all humanity into a right and holy relationship with himself. So he says, tell Philistia, tell Egypt, tell the world that I'm fixing to display my powerful love upon my people Israel because I'm coming after everybody else next. So, with everyone watching, this is what Israel has done to violate their relationship to God. Here we are in verse 10. He says, my people, he's talking about Israel. He says, my people have forgotten how to do right. He gave them the law back in uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy. He's repeated the law to them. He's told them, here's the law. Do live in obedience to the law and you'll be blessed. Don't live in obedience to the law, you'll be cursed. He says, my people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Here's the example. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Now, uh, I guess it was last week we, we set up the book of Amos and kind of gave you the historical background and the setting of what's going on. Israel and the surrounding area is economically prospering. They're doing great. They're having this financial heyday. Life is wonderful. But the way they got rich, the way they supplied their fortress, the, the way they got their wealth... The way they got rich, violate, it violated their relationship with God. They sinned to get it. God is not pleased because their wealth has come from dishonest and sinful means. So put yourself in God's position. He's looking down at his people. They're on the outside, they seem to be doing great. But on the inside, they were deceitful in order to get to great. You with me? It's kind of like coming home and uh, from a day at work and your wife looks extra beautiful because she robbed a bank to get a great new hairdo and some nice new clothes. <laughs> it looks nice at first glance, but it causes your stomach to turn because you know that it's all wrong. This is not right. No, my wife did not get a new hairdo. <laughs> she didn't rob a bank either. You understand what I'm saying? Israel knew how they should have behaved. But in the process of becoming prosperous, Israel knew how they needed to behave. They knew what was right and honoring to God. But in the process of making themselves prosperous, that's not anything we would all do. I mean, the application is just right on the nose there, so I don't feel like I have to draw the line. While Israel was becoming prosperous, they forgot how to do right. In their own effort to improve themselves, they violated their relationship with God. Okay, you got it? Verse 11, therefore, when you come to a therefore in Scripture, you need to figure out what it's there for. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord. That was the funniest thing I said all morning. <laughs> I didn't mean it to be funny. 
Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, here we go again with, with the authority of our deliverer. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. Now, whenever an enemy is coming is preceded by the word sovereign Lord, there's, nothing, there's no way out. This is it. This is it. The sovereign Lord has said, an enemy is coming, Israel. He will surround them and shatter their defenses. We looked at that in every example last week. God is going to destroy their defenses. And then he will plunder all of their fortresses. God is sending punishment for Israel's sin. Then, then watch out what, what happens. The Lord paints a picture so that we can all see how serious he is. Okay, verse 12, here we go. This is what the Lord, Yahweh, says again. So picture, picture, this is a um, pretty rough picture. He says, a shepherd who tries to rescue. So the previous verse, he says, I'm going to destroy their defenses. I'm going to shatter their fortresses. It's all going to be bad. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth. Got that in your mind? I mean, I think of David. He's, he's out there protecting the sheep. Lion gets one of his sheep. <laughs> lion's in trouble, right? A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from the lion's mouth. He's going to run up and grab that sheep and try to take it away from the lion will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. I never said that these sermons are G-rated, right? It's going to be, get a little gory. But he writes that so that we will picture that this is a severe picture. If you're going to try to rescue these people from the lion, which seems to be God in these pictures, where God has taken Israel, he's going to punish them. If you're going to try to rescue them, it's going to tear this, this lamb, this sheep, all to pieces. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria, lying on luxurious beds, and for the people of Damascus, reclining on their couches. This is what Yahweh, the delivering God, says. He says, it, it, it seems a little ironic that Yahweh, the deliverer, the Savior, is punishing Israel so severely. I'm going to save you. I'm going to beat the pee waddle out of you. It's hard to get your brain around. But you know what? Pee waddle's a Greek word, I think. I don't know. It may be Spanish. I may have just made it up. Huh. You want to save your children from a life of misery? You beat the pee waddle out of them every once in a while so they'll stop sinning. And it makes life better for them. We save them from their sin. God is punishing, he's disciplined Israel to bring them into a right relationship because a right relationship cannot exist when we bring sin into it. It's just an eternal law. We can't get away from that. I'm not saying you beat the pee waddle out of your kids all the time. It just seems ironic that you have God, who is the Savior, the Deliverer, this big compassionate God, is punishing, is punishing Israel so severely. So keep in mind, God is not out to destroy Israel. God's mission is always to redeem Israel from self-destruction, the self-destruction of sin, to a right and redemptive, holy relationship with himself. You with me? So we look at it and we say, well, God's being very harsh. God is being very harsh because he loves ferociously. He wants you to have life, not death. And so, yes, he comes after us like a lion and he grabs a hold of us and he brings punishment to get sin out of our lives. 
There's a whole second part to that that we're probably not going to get to today. Um, here again is one of those New Testament things. Maybe we'll get to it at the end. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, pay attention in case you miss it. All right. Number three, a redeemed relationship. We got to get to a redeemed relationship. That's the mission that God is on is to get us uh, from a, he wants to have a holy relationship, but our sin violates the relationship. He wants to get us to a redeemed relationship. Everyone say redeemed relationship. Oh, Honolulu. (laughs) I meant hallelujah. All right, here we go. Verse 13. Probably offended somebody. The joke is you say Honolulu and somebody says, oh, I want to go there. See? Anyway, you had to be on the inside of the joke. A redeemed relationship. Here we go, verse 13. He says, now listen to this and announce it throughout all of Israel. Poor Amos. Can you imagine this poor guy? He's, God is speaking to him and he's saying, God is speaking to Amos and he's telling Amos that you got to go and announce to all of Israel that God's coming like a lion to rip them apart. <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll volunteer for the janitorial duty then. Uh, that's a better job. Now listen to this and announce it throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the Lord God of heaven's armies. Now whenever I'm reading through this, I'm like, wow, we have Lord, we have the Lord God of heaven's armies, we have Adonai, we have Yahweh, and we have Elohim. So, God is speaking to Amos telling Amos to share this message with Israel. And the message to Israel is basically, God, God, God is coming with his army. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord is coming. He doesn't have any more, I think the right word is superlatives. He can't make it any grander. This is Adonai, the Lord, Lord. This is Yahweh, the Savior, deliver. This is Elohim. This is God. (laughs) Whenever I was a kid, we made jokes about preachers that could say God in three syllables. I've been practicing, but I'm not very good at it. But you get the point of what is going on. He says, says the Lord, the Lord God of heaven's armies. He's laying it on as thick as he possibly can. The God who has all authority. The God who has all power. He has laid down the law. He has laid out his commands. And he is saying, I am coming, not by myself, that's enough. If you have the Lord, 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 God, God, God coming, you better get your britches in gear. But he's coming with all of heaven's armies as well. I kind of get the feeling that he's serious. I read through this and I'm thinking, okay, man, we have Adonai, we have Yahweh, we have Elohim. The the emotion, because it's a poetry, uh, the emotion that comes to my mind is terrifying comfort. I don't know how that works, but that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's terrifying comfort. That God, in all of his saving, powerful love, is coming after you. And you say, it's terrifying, but I'm going to welcome it. I'm I'm glad that he's coming because I can't save myself. Terrifying comfort. He is a God of authority and redemption. He is the God above all gods. He is powerful to command the armies of of, of heaven. He is merciful enough to pursue and redeem a relationship with you and I. Is he scary? Oh, terrifying. Is he loving? More than you even have the ability to comprehend. Amos chapter 3, verse 14, he says, On the very day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, 
and fall to the ground. God's punishment is not only directed at Israel and their people, the people of Israel. It is directed at the pagan idols that they've been worshiping. Here again, we see that God is a jealous God. He's not going to allow another God to come in this holy relationship that he has with Israel. He's a very jealous God. He will destroy the source of Israel's sin. This altar at Bethel, which we looked at in Hosea, is probably this golden calf that they felt the freedom to build because that seemed like a good idea. God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to smash it into bits. I'm going, to, I'm going to knock the horns off of it. I'm going to show you that this golden calf, this idol that you've been bowing down to and worshiping, has no power, has no authority whatsoever, and that I have all authority and all power, and I'm going to come and I'm going to demonstrate it. And Philistia and Egypt's going to be watching, and they're going to see that I am the one true God. <laughs> That's awesome. Verse 15, and I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too, all their places filled with art ivory, says the Lord. He's going to take away their wealth. God, watch, watch this. God will not allow Israel's prosperity to violate his holy relationship with his people. He's a jealous God. If these houses are going to come between your relationship and God, then he'll remove the houses because he's more concerned about having a relationship with you than you having a garden tub. Yeah. His priorities are so different than ours. You think you need a new vehicle and a newer house and a newer whatever, and you need all these material things, and then, and then you don't have time to serve God because you're busy servicing all of your golden calves. And God says, that's fine. I want to have a relationship with you, and so I'll get rid of your golden calves. And then we go, oh, but what happened? Why did God take all of his blessings from me? <laughs> your golden calves are not God's blessing in your life, buddy. Well, that went over real well, didn't it? Israel, much like America, had equated prosperity with a right relationship with God. So you know, pause for a second, let that sink in. Israel, much like America, had equated prosperity with a right relationship with God. Just because we're doing well, we must be in a right relationship with God. Even though we see that that is not true over and over throughout history. We seem to fall back into the temptation that material things will lead to contentment. But the fact, the eternal fact is that God created you and I to be content only in a redeemed relationship with Him and in God-honoring relationships with family and friends. Are you with me? Your relationship with your spouse is a holy relationship. Your relationship with your children is a holy relationship. Your relationship with your church family and friends is a holy relationship. God intends us to be content in Him, in a right relationship in Him, and in the community of the body of Christ too little or he's because he addresses wealth here too little or too much wealth it can hinder relationships too little or too much 
But the real culprit in relationships is sin. When we put anything before God in our lives, we begin to corrupt a holy relationship. The removal of sin, the removal of sin, and then the presence of God's character, because holiness is always two parts. It's moving from, moving to. The removal from sin and then the presence of God's character, the character of Christ Jesus demonstrated in us is the determining factor of healthy relationships. Only God. I'm waiting for effect so that you understand. Only God has authority. Only God has power to redeem us to himself. Only God has authority and power to bring us into a right relationship, a holy relationship with himself, and a holy relationship with our spouse, and a holy relationship with our children, a holy relationship with our church family. Does that make sense? And he does that. He does that only through the death and the resurrection of his very own son, Jesus Christ. It's an incredible story that I'm not going to take the time to tell you this morning, but we'll tell it maybe next week. I'm going to keep you hanging. You're going to have to come back to hear the rest of the story. Because we, how God deals with Israel here in Amos is just incredibly different than how God deals with you and I today. He's not going to beat the Pewaddle out of us. I can't tell you what he's going to do. You're just going to have to come next week. I want us to bow our heads together and pray. Josh is going to come and and, uh, talk about life groups. Father, we just love you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you love us so much that you will drastically go out of your way to reach your people and to make make us holy, to bring us to a right relationship with you, to redeem us, to deliver us from the slavery of sin, to set us free in your grace so that we are free to love as you love Lord, we just thank you that you're a great and a mighty God in our lives. Lord, I pray that every one of us will humbly submit to you as our Lord, our King, our Savior. Father, as you set us free to be holy in the family of God, Lord, we just love you. Be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. Thank you for listening. We'd love to have you join us at Desert Heights for the next message in this series this Sunday morning at 1030.